most difficult aspects of aging when you find yourself in a home, find yourself in a place where nothing is familiar to you, and find yourself in a place where you're now cut off from family and friends and neighbors and all that once was part of your life. It is necessary at times, there's no getting away from that, and as I mentioned already, in the case of Erla MacDonald, it was necessary for her, and she found herself struggling with that, at times even uh, really wrestling over the loneliness and the impact of that loneliness upon her mind. But you don't have to be in a home in order to feel lonely. And the portion that is before us tonight brings before us the experience, the event of a woman that as you know, touches the Lord and has her ailment healed. But this woman, when we just pause and consider her circumstances, was also a very lonely woman. She did not have all the companionship and friendship that maybe she once had another time in her life. The ailment that she had, the malady that was upon her body, was of such a nature that it would have cut her off from the community. She would no longer be allowed to enter into the place of worship, She would perhaps be cut off entirely from her friends and family because coming into contact with her would mean that they also would become ceremonially unclean. And so this would have an impact upon friends, upon relatives. It may even, if she was married, it may have had an impact even on her marriage. Her husband may have, in frustration with the whole matter, just got up and left her because he could not deal with the implications of her sickness. But the event displays the marvelous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Indeed, something I don't want us to miss is the accessibility of the Lord Jesus Christ for those that are in need. This woman is able to make her way through a crowd as they are thronging. You see that from verse 42, the people thronged him. They are pressing in around him. There's this huge crowd. I don't know if you've ever been in a huge crowd like this ever before. I don't know if you've ever For whatever scenario you may find yourself in that place, it can actually be quite scary, especially if the crowd begins to move and shift and you find yourself, your shoulders kind of squished in along with the crowd and you're moving like a wave along with them and you can't stop yourself from moving. Some of these things have actually resulted in many injuries and even deaths. And I don't know if it was to that that degree, but certainly there are thousands that are pressing in around the Lord Jesus Christ. And this woman, just by reaching out and touching Him, obtains the very thing that she needed, the very thing that had eluded her for 12 years. And in that moment, she experiences the delivering grace of the Lord Jesus. It's not complex, men and women young people. It's not complex when it comes to the matter of receiving grace from the Lord Jesus Christ. He does not ask you to jump through all these hoops and over all these hurdles. You simply need to reach out to Him. You need to understand your need of Him, go to Him, and in an act of faith, touch Him, believing that in Him is the very thing you need for the salvation of your soul. And let me say to Christians, it's the same. My mind won't be directed particularly to Christians tonight. I'll be trying to apply it to those who are lost and don't know the Lord. But let me say to Christians, that same act of faith that brought you into a union with the Lord Jesus Christ is the same way you continue your existence. 
You look to Christ, you touch the Lord every day, you're reaching out to touch Him, to lean on Him, to rest upon Him. That is the life of the believer. They never grow into a condition of independence where all of a sudden, I don't need Jesus Christ anymore. They are always in need of Him. And simply by reaching, simply by touching, simply by looking to Him, they experience tremendous grace. So I trust as we look at these verses tonight, the Lord will help us and encourage us. And as we consider it under the very simple title, The Woman with the Issue of Blood, nothing ambiguous there. I want you to see, first of all, her pitiful condition. Her pitiful condition. We are told in verse 43, a woman having an issue of blood 12 years, which has spent all her living upon physicians, neither could be healed of any, came behind him and touched the border of his garment. Her pitiful condition. Note, firstly, her malady. She had a malady. We are told here that it's an issue of blood. In Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 5, and you, you may want to find your place there because we will look to Mark a number of times as we give consideration to this passage. But Mark chapter 5, verse 26 says that she had suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was nothing better but rather grew worse. This was an awful condition that she found herself in. We can't be specific about exactly what was going on, but certainly she was in a constant state of hemorrhaging, and whether the malady was consistently the same every day, that it was always exactly the same in terms of her experience, or whether it would come and go in, in, in increasing waves of, 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 of uh, difficulty or experience of it, we, we, we're not sure. But certainly there's a, there's a constancy to it so that it can be said she had this problem for 12 years. For 12 years, she didn't know any relief. For 12 years, she scarred the country. She tried to find someone that might be able to help her. For 12 years, she would delicately try to bring it up. It's not the kind of thing she wants to talk about. It's not the kind of condition that you share. Understand that. There are times even as the Lord's people, we, we have conditions where we're a little hesitant to say to anyone what it is that we're going through and experiencing, and that's fine. This woman exhibits the same reservations. And so in trying to find help, in going through her experience and the loneliness of it, you have an individual who goes to one doctor, he can't help, goes to another doctor, he can't help. She, she tries them all, and then her only option is to begin to inquire, to ask people, do you know anyone who's had such a condition? Are you aware of anyone who's ever been helped in such a condition? And she delicately goes around her neighborhood, around her community, around the country, trying to find someone who will be able to help her. That has been her experience for 12 years. Unlike Jairus' daughter, in his household, there's been 12 years of joy, 12 years of happiness until this particular event that we will get to, God willing, next Lord's Day, dealing with her and her death and resurrection. But this woman, the past 12 years, has not brought joy into her home. The past 12 years have brought misery, being cut off, as I say, from her community, from her friends, perhaps even from family, being left alone and trying, her, her mind obsessed. She cannot forget about this. She, she's not allowed to forget this. Every part of her life is being impacted by this ailment. So every day she wakes up. Every day she has to face, as I say, the isolation, the consequences of having a malady of this nature, and I'll detail a little more of that later on. But in fact, when you read Mark's description of it, it seems 
as he describes it, and of course Luke is the one who's a physician, so he would know a little better, but he doesn't describe it as Mark does, but this is how, how Mark puts it, that she was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse. And there may be within that language the, the hinting that Mark is hinting at the fact this is the very thing that's going to take her to her grave. That just gets worse. As she tries to find relief and help, it just gets worse. And eventually this anemic, vitamin B12 deficient individual who is having the very life drain out of her, this is going to be the thing that will take her, take her life utterly. She grew worse. She not only had a malady, but she was in poverty. She was in poverty. We are told again, a woman having an issue of blood 12 years, which had spent all her living upon physicians, neither could be healed of any. She spent all her living. I don't know whether she started off with means. I don't know how wealthy she may have been. But whatever amount of money she had, whatever resources she could get her hands on, every last penny that she had was going into this problem. So as we said last Lord's Day, when you're in a condition of desperation, everything else disappears. It doesn't matter what else is going on in your life. In moments of desperation, it seems like everything gets shut out and you become very tunneled in your view. And so you can live happy-go-lucky, you can, you can live as if there's no problems, that's sin, there's no judgment for it, there's no repercussions for rebelling against God, I'll just live how I please, nothing will ever happen. You can, you can live like that, but whenever desperate times occur, and you feel that you're facing eternity, or a matter in which you can't change anything, all of a sudden perspective shifts. For Jairus, it was the realization amidst all of his status in society, no one could help him. His daughter was dying on the brink of death, and he couldn't do a thing about it. And it's the same for this woman. She has tried everything, and she is willing to, to starve, to actually set aside money that needs to be going to food. She, she's willing to set that aside because it doesn't really matter about food. If I don't get this matter reconciled or solved or healed from, if I don't get this matter dealt with, I'm going to die anyway. And maybe even the suffering of it, especially after 12 years, it comes to the point where you would nearly rather just give up on life. Poverty is one of those conditions that God uses at times to show man his own helplessness. And he brings it upon individuals, he brings it upon Families, again, and I'm, I'm thinking here of poverty that is brought upon by, not by your own idleness or your own indifference to the responsibility to work and provide. This is poverty that's brought on by matters completely outside of your control. And there may be the thought, especially for some of you who are looking at the debt to GDP ratio at the present time, you may... You may be wondering, well, what's ahead for the average American? Maybe there are lean times ahead. Maybe. Poverty is one of the ways that God gets our attention. I've mentioned this before. I say it again. 
Elijah was all too well aware of that fact, wasn't he? When he saw the idolatry of the land, when he saw its departure from God, when he saw its complete, headstrong, unbelieving, idolatrous practice and rejecting of the true and living God, he comes to a point where he is praying over the promised judgments in Leviticus that God had given. He is praying over them, asking God to meet it out. That God has said, if you turn away from me, I will bring judgment. And he lists the judgments, and one of them is famine. And Elijah, looking at the spiritual poverty of Israel, believes that God would use physical poverty to awaken the land. So he prayed that it might not rain. When you pray, especially in that age, but even to this very day, but especially in that time, when you pray that it might not rain, and it rained not the space of three and a half years, when you pray that, you are praying for poverty. You're praying that all the farmers, all the agrarian work, everything that supplies and sustains the land would not be there. So the people are brought to breaking point. It all comes to a head at Mount Carmel. And you know, at least some of you do, the rest of the story. But I want you not to miss that, that he is praying for poverty upon the people. So poverty is something that God uses to get the attention of people. Now, I don't know anything about the spiritual nature of this woman prior to this. I don't know to what degree she followed the Lord. I believe she was a Jew. But I don't know to what degree she followed faithfully or to what degree her faith was expressed. But she's afflicted first physically. Then she's afflicted financially through the circumstances that she faces. And she is being brought to a point of desperation. Now let me underline, beloved, when you're brought to a point of desperation, it's not an accident. It is God's appointment for you to turn to Him. And if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, and maybe tonight finds you actually in a condition of great discomfort, things are not going your way, family life, friendships, relationships, employment, things are not going according to plan. Let me say that when things aren't going according to plan, when things aren't working out and aren't easy for you, it is one of the ways God gets our attention to drive us to seek Him. She was in poverty. She had spent all her living all her living, every penny that she had upon physicians. Maybe you thought it's a modern thing for the medical field to have the potential to eradicate your wealth. (laughs) 
if you're not rightly prepared for it with insurance or something else. No, it's not, it's not modern. 2,000 years ago, you had people with ailments that spent everything they could upon a whole host of different doctors and were brought to poverty because no help. There was nothing that could help her. She had a malady. She was in poverty. As I've hinted at already, she was lonely. This particular malady meant that she was left endlessly in a state where she was ceremonially unclean. If you read Leviticus chapter 15, which I will not do tonight, but if you read that chapter, you'll see that the Lord gives the law concerning bodily discharges. It's not a pleasant subject. In fact, when I preached through Leviticus in Calgary, when I was thinking, I would really love to preach through Leviticus, all of Leviticus. And I thought, but that chapter's there. (laughs) I really want to have to deal with that chapter. Well, we went ahead and dealt with it anyway. But it's, it's, not, it's not an easy read. And like the chapters previous to it that deal, deal with leprosy, the Lord is using things illustrating the problem of sin in humanity. You see, we need pictures at times. The words won't, they won't, words won't do you. They're not sufficient. I tell you that sin is a problem. You need your sin to be dealt with. You need it You need to come to Christ for forgiveness. You need to rest in the Son of God. Your sin will damn you. I tell you that, and you sit there, and it washes over you. You could go to the street in Greenville and preach the gospel and call men to repentance, and hardly a person will give any heed to what you're saying. But the Lord then illustrates. In one sense, even what we've seen here, He he brings our need through physical affliction through financial shortage. But in these particular passages relating to these laws, the Lord uses again something very natural, something in in most of the cases it's just part of life in this world, and He uses it to illustrate the fact that both men and women are sinful. And you read it, you will realize that the malady this woman was suffering from as she hemorrhaged would bring her under the stipulations of Leviticus 15, making her not only ceremonially unclean, but ceremonially contagious. That is, if you come into contact with her, you would become unclean as well, and would need to go through a process of cleansing before you could enter into the place of worship. So it was like leprosy. It cut you off. It cut you off. It wasn't just as severe as leprosy, but it was another way a more common way, actually, where men had impressed upon their minds that sin is a problem, that human nature is inherently fallen, that we are dead in trespasses and in sins. We need the quickening grace of God. We need the gospel. Without the gospel, we are dead. So he illustrates it. The Lord graciously illustrates it, even though it was painful and difficult. It was worth it in order to help men understand the problem of sin. But for this woman, the condition continued for 12 years. 12 years of being deemed contagious. Where Jews would not come into contact with her because to come into contact with her would would eliminate their ability to go to the place of worship. At least in the immediate 
So it's not surprising that she quietly approached the Lord because there are, there are hundreds of people around her. If they, if they knew her condition, they wouldn't be too happy that she was brushing alongside them. So she's not very public about the matter. In fact, if you read Matthew's gospel and what it says about her kind of what she's, what's going on in her mind. Matthew gives insight into how she's thinking. It says in Matthew 9, verse 21, as she comes to touch the hem of his garment, she said within herself, if I may but touch his garment, I shall be whole. And, and I think you can, that that thought was, was not just at that point of touching him, but that thought was what had led her the entire way. If I can just touch him, But she's thinking it. She's not talking about it. She's not sharing it with people. She's very much keeping this matter to herself. So 12 years, this was her pitiful condition. Sometimes the Lord permits difficulty to go on and on and on. And some of you know it. There are many of you that know what it is to be under a weight of hardship, whatever the sort, for years. And you wonder, will it ever be over? Lord permits it. Indeed, He's sovereignly using it. He's bringing it to pass. He's the one who brought the problem. And caused her to live under it for so many years. You think about it, every time she went to a doctor... Every time she went to a doctor, every time another physician trying for help and she's spending more money. But the Lord saw all of that. He saw her. He saw her going. That faint sense of hope again. Maybe this one. I've heard good things about this one. Costs a lot. But I'm going to try it. one after another. And the Lord sees it and sees the financial position drain. Sees her tears when she goes home and sobs because the doctors just told her, just like all the others, I'm sorry. There's nothing I can do. If you haven't been there before, chances are you'll be there. You'll be in that place. There's nothing we can do. The Lord is in it. Secondly, her believing action. Not only her pitiful condition, but her believing action. 
number of things to note here. First, she went to Jesus when she heard of him. She went to Jesus when she heard of him. Now, Mark is the one that points this out. Mark chapter 5, verse 27. Pardon me. It's not verse 27. Can't find it here. Maybe it's in Matthew's gospel. There's one of the gospels anyway. It tells us that when she heard of him, when she heard of Jesus, that she went and made her way to him. For some reason I can't see it right now. But anyway, and I wondered about that. I wondered about who told her, who it was that told her, how she got the news. I mean, there's a lot of fame spreading around about the Lord Jesus Christ. And there are a lot of conditions that he heals. But go back. I don't think this is in any way happenstance. Uh, the Lord, in Luke chapter 8, if you go to the beginning of the chapter, just to refresh your memory of, of how this chapter begins. It came to pass afterward that he went throughout every city and village, preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. So he's going around preaching it all over the place. And certain women, which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom went seven devils, and Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others, which ministered unto him of their substance. So these were women, specifically women, who were healed of evil spirits and infirmities. And infirmities. So there were, there were a whole bunch of women, women that were giving themselves to minister to the Lord Jesus Christ that had all sorts of ailments and infirmities, were not detailed what they were, but maybe it was from them, maybe it was knowing about them, maybe it was seeing them, but she hears, she hears about the Lord, and that's the first mark of hope, that's the first indication that there's, there's something that can be done for her. This aspect of touching the Lord and being made whole was, was not, this isn't the first time we find this. In Mark chapter 3, verse 10, we are told that he healed many inasmuch as they pressed upon him for to touch him as many as had plagues. So it's not just the fact that he can heal, but people are beginning to talk about the fact if you just touch him, if you just touch him, then you may be healed of your infirmity or of your plague. And even after this event, because in the chronology of it all, in Matthew chapter 14, we have another event. If you turn there for a moment, you'll see again the fact that people came to touch him in this way as we find this woman did. Matthew chapter 14. Now this is a completely different place. We're told in verse 34, it's Gennesaret. When the men of that place had knowledge of him, they sent out into all the country round about him, brought unto him all that were diseased, and besought him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched were made perfectly whole. Now this is after, chronologically this is after the event that we're dealing with. But I want you to see that there's this, this rising understanding of the power that emanates from the Son of God. Mark 3.10 comes before, if we just touch him, we'll be healed. And then it gets to the point, if we, if we just touch the garment, the hem of the garment, it's not even him, it's not like you have to touch his skin or some way get right near to him. Just, just even to touch the hem of his garment is sufficient. And so there are thousands, thousands perhaps, 
that go through this same experience where they, they, they are looking just to get near, just even, just let me touch the hem of his garment. Let me just get there and touch. I, I, I believe I've heard again that this is all that is necessary to be delivered from your infirmity. Well, she had heard of him. And so again, she comes, and this is her first believing action. It is to hear of him, and that causes her to respond in a certain way. As I said earlier, Matthew 9, 21, she said within herself, if I may but touch his garment, I shall be whole. If I can just touch the garment, that's sufficient. That, that motivated her. When she heard all about him and everything that had been done, she's thinking, if I can just get there and touch his garment, then I will be healed. So she went to Jesus when she heard of him. Let me just say there, that, that, that is exactly what sinners ought to do. And it takes an awareness of your, of your plight in order for you to do that. You don't go to someone like this unless you're aware of the problem. You go to him because you have a problem and you believe he's the only one that can help. Now, this happens to this day. There are people that have certain ailments, certain particular uh, physical infirmities that the regular doctor isn't able to help them with, and they go to maybe another specialist they're referred to. They can't help either. Then they begin to Google, and they talk, and they ask, and they make phone calls, and they find out in some other state, halfway across the country, is one guy who's known in this particular area. The people do that all the time. It's a sense of desperation. You don't go halfway across the country to see someone unless you're desperate. And this woman was desperate, which made her move towards him to get close to him in order to be healed. But here's the thing. Here's the point. You, you have a malady. You have a problem. Just like this woman. In fact, it describes people in their condition very, in a very clear fashion that you have an issue. You have an ailment. You have a malady. You have a sin problem in your life. I can say that, and you might not acknowledge it. You think that sin's not a problem, and so you don't do anything about it. You say, What's a little sin here and there? And sure, we're all sinners. What does it matter? But it's when you begin to sense the urgency of the problem that this, this, this sin issue actually will kill me. I will die because of this problem. Then you're prepared to do whatever it takes when you hear that there's someone who can help you with that problem. So I want you to keep that in mind. This is illustrating very helpfully for us the experience that ought to be replicated, duplicated in every single person who has the problem of sin and hasn't had it dealt with. So when you hear about the Lord Jesus Christ, as you're hearing about Him tonight, and as I put before you the Savior and the experience this woman had in coming into contact with Him, I want you to be aware of the fact you have a sin problem and you can't buy your way out of it, and there's no other physician that can help you with this problem, there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. There's only one who's been given status, position, power that can deal with the problem of sin. Only one. And if you don't go to Him, you have no hope. You will die without Christ, you will perish without Christ forever, for all eternity. And there's part of you that knows that. There's part of you that is aware of the fact that there are consequences for sin. You want there to be. When someone wrongs you, you want there to be consequences for what they have done. You wouldn't say, let everyone off. 
You want there to be consequences for sin or for crime, whatever terminology you wish to use. And God is a righteous judge. You also will pay for your sin. And if you don't get to Christ, you're going to suffer under the eternal wrath of God, the judgment of God forever because of that sin. Now, this is the teaching of the Word of God. So you need to feel again your malady. You may be feeling healthy in body. I want you to feel the lack of spiritual health that is natural to everyone that's without Christ. Every last person in this room, if they are ever to be in God's heaven with the Son of God, they must come to Christ. They must have sought Him for salvation and confessed their sins before Him. She went to Jesus when she heard of Him, and I hope you do the same. I hope you run to Christ. There's no one else. Not also, she touched Jesus when she approached Him. She touched Jesus when she approached him. So we're told in Luke chapter 8, verse 44, she came behind him and touched the border of his garment. She touched the border of his garment. Why did she touch just the border of his garment? She said, she said within herself, if I just touch his garment, that was the, what was going on in her mind. But why did she just touch the hem of his garment? I don't know if she had any, if there was any significance in that action from her. I can't say, at least how she was approaching it. It may have been that as she tried to push in, she, she may have been too short of stature to reach over and get through. And the only way was to crouch down, get right down, and through the legs of everyone, lay hold upon the hem of the garment of the Lord Jesus. That's all she could do. So amidst the pressing crowd, and they're all pushing and, and moving along with the Lord Jesus, she just, she just gets right down, right to the ground, and just reaches through the legs, and touches the hem of his garment. No other options were open to her. But as I say, I don't know whether she understood the significance of the hem of the garment. There is a significance to the hem of the garment. Turn for a moment to Numbers chapter 15. Numbers chapter 15. Verse 37. Now I'm, going, I'm not going to get into all the aspects of what this text deals with, but I, I'm going to illustrate it as simply as possible. Numbers 15, verse 37, the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and bid them, that they make them fringes in the borders of their garments throughout their generations. This is something they should do. And that they put upon the fringe of the borders a ribbon of blue. And it shall be unto you for a fringe, that ye may look upon it and remember, so it becomes a, a memorial token, a, a memory aid. Remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them. And that ye seek not after your own heart and your own eyes, after which ye used to go whoring. That ye may remember and do all my commandments and be holy unto your God. I am the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. As I said earlier, we need pictures. 
We need visual aids at times. We are not very quick to pick up on things when they're just told to us. Sometimes we need to have it illustrated in vivid colors. And on this occasion, the Lord says, look, do this as a, as a way to help you understand why you're here. Now, here's my point. Here's how I want you to understand this. This woman is coming. She's a sinner. She is in great need. She has this problem, this physical problem. She has a financial problem. She has all sorts of problems. And she comes and she reaches out and touches just the hem of the garment. Now, whether she was aware of it or not, there's a wonderful significance in how the Lord used that. I mean, he didn't have to use that. The virtue that went out of him, the healing power was of his own volition. That when he, in his sovereign ability, discerned that touching of the garment, when he knew that, he granted healing to her. This is not her action. It's not like she can suck the, 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 the healing power out of the Lord Jesus just by touching him. He is sovereignly granting it. And as he discerns her grasping at the hem of the garment, I want you to realize the wonderful illustration that is of the gospel. What is it that sinners need more than anything else? It is to not look like a sinner before God. That's what you need more than anything else. You need, as a sinner, and you can't avoid that. We are all sinners. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You can't avoid that. So what is the greatest need of the sinner? The greatest need of the sinner is not to be a sinner before God, to not look like a sinner before God. And in this act of laying hold of that which was a memorial of the keeping of the commandments, this woman perhaps inadvertently, but whatever the case, she's laying hold upon the symbol of the very thing she needed before God. I need righteousness. I need someone who can keep the commands of God. I need someone to represent me. I need a righteousness. And by faith, she's reaching out and she's symbolically taking a righteousness that will give her a standing before God so that she's forgiven, accepted, and she doesn't have to fear the wrath of God for her sin. It's a wonderful picture of what every single person here needs to do if you're ever going to be reconciled to God. Every last one of you, boys and girls, men and women, whatever the condition of life, you need to reach out taking Christ, not just as some, like in a, a religious act to identify with Christianity. It's, it's not that. This, this is the desperation of the soul. These are sinners here. We're all sinners, and, and we need to not be sinners before God. That's how we judicially need to look. We can't be found guilty on the day of judgment or we're toast. And so in Christ we have one who is a perfect righteousness, who has lived out the law perfectly, and she, she reaches out, touching the hem of that garment, the symbol. I don't know if he had blue woven around the hem of his garment. Maybe he did. And reaching out and grabbing hold of that, she was grabbing hold of the very righteousness she needed before God. This is what we all need. We need a righteousness. We need to reach out to the only law keeper that's ever walked the face of the earth. The only one who has any merit of value before God. 
So I put before you tonight, I put before you the living Christ, and I put him before you, not the church, not, not changing behavior and turning over a new leaf. I put before you Christ, and see in Christ all, all that is needed to be reconciled to God. He holds within him perfectly the law of God, perfectly kept through his life. And when we simply grab hold of him, when we simply reach out, and if it's only the hem of his garment we can get a hold of, it's sufficient. We're laying hold of the one who came to save and to impart life and to give you a standing of righteousness so that you need not perish. This malady was going to kill her. She reaches out to Christ and everything changes. That brings us in for us to consider her immediate transformation. Her immediate transformation. Verse 44 tells us that she came behind him and touched the border of his garment and immediately the her issue of blood, stench, strange old word there, but just means made to stand or stop. That's the sense of the original. Mark, words it this way, Mark 5.29, straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. She felt it. But the point that we need to see here above everything else is the immediacy of it. It's immediate. Immediately, her issue of blood stanch. Immediately. There's no delay. She is delivered instantaneously. And so let us consider a number of things. First, she was immediately healed of what was killing her. She was immediately healed of what was killing her. This is killing her. She is growing worse. People will see her Maybe they don't know the issue, but they, they look at her and she think, think, she's awful pale. Are you okay? People who aren't aware of what's going on, are you okay? You look really pale. As time goes on, she's just becoming more and more sick, more and more gaunt. Of course, as her money goes away, she can't even eat the very foods that would be necessary to help replenish the body. But this is what Christ does. He immediately heals sinners of what is killing them. Immediately. He doesn't delay it. And this is the glory of it. This is, this is wonderful. I love this. I love this part. I love thinking about this. I love thinking about the fact that anyone here who presently, let me illustrate it very vividly for you, presently, right now, spiritually, you're on your way to hell. That's where you're going. That's what the Word of God teaches. That, it's very clear. Your sin is upon you. The judgment of God is upon you. You're on your way to hell. But here's the wonderful thing. That can be rectified here, tonight, now. It can change. You reach out and lay hold on Christ and it's gone. He immediately heals of what is killing you, of what is damning you, of what is destroying you, of what is robbing you of life. Christian, don't, don't forget this. Don't forget that the Lord can save immediately. 
that the people in your acquaintance and the family members that you're concerned about, those people can be saved in an instant. At any given moment, you can get a phone call that tells you, I've been saved. Do you ever get that, that, that out of the blue news? Someone being saved. Out of the blue, you just hear that they've been converted. It's, it's, there, that's, <laughs> there's no news like that. That's the best news. Someone that you've been thinking about, someone that you've prayed for, someone that you've maybe witnessed to. And then you learn that they're saved. What happened? Just one moment they're on the broad road that leads to destruction, the next minute they're on the narrow road that leads to life. They looked to Christ. They rested in the Son of God. Immediately healed of what was killing her. Also, she was immediately aware of what Christ had done. She was immediately aware of what Christ had done. And she's, she's conscious of this. The passages are clear when you bring them all together. But here's a woman who understood, and you see it here. Immediately, her issue of blood stanched. She knew it. You read Mark. It becomes clear. She's aware of this. And this is, again, illustrative of salvation. Now, I need to be careful here because sometimes assurance doesn't come so quickly are so evidently into the life. There are times in which people are saved and they don't really feel saved for a long time. And they go through a period of doubt and questioning and uncertainty. And that, that can happen. But, but for many, for many, it can be the case, it can be the experience that when they cry out to the Lord, they have a sense of assurance. And in fact, you should look for that. You should look for a sense of assurance. If you don't feel assured of your faith, where do you look to? If you're not sure that you're saved, what do you do? You come to the minister. I have a special ointment there in my office. And I'll just put it on your head and all of a sudden you'll feel certain that you're saved. But that's not how it works. You go to Christ again. You keep going to Christ until you're certain, you're sure He's yours. And you rest in the promise that if you come to Him, He'll never cast you out. And you keep mulling that over and thinking about that. That's to everyone. If I come to him, he'll not cast me out. If I come, if anyone comes, whosoever comes to come to Christ, there are no limitations on that. There's no hesitation on his part. He gives a broad invitation to all men, come to me and I'll save. And the more you think about that and ponder that, the more it will sink into your heart and you'll become assured. And you'll become aware that he has saved you. Thirdly, she was immediately made a testimony of Christ's delivering grace. She was made a testimony of Christ's delivering grace. Now, she wanted this to go down very kind of behind the scenes. She didn't want to make any big issue of this. She wanted quietly to just disappear after she had received what she had come for. So, we read in verse 45, Jesus said, Who touched me? When all denied, and you need to put yourself in the context here. Everyone is kind of moving along with the Lord Jesus Christ. There's something in this question that they understand. They discern he's asking something specific here. It's not just like you're brushing up against me. It's it, who has laid hold on me. And I don't know to what degree the disciples were aware of exactly what he was getting at, but certainly they, they were aware that it wasn't just touching or brushing alongside him. 
They knew that when he was asking this, it was, who has touched me for a particular, maybe we might say salvific purpose? When all denied, Peter and they that were with him said, Master, the multitude throng thee and press thee, and sayest thou, who touched me? I mean, how are we to know? How are we to know who touched you? And Jesus said, Somebody hath touched me, for I perceive that virtue is gone out of me. When the woman saw that she was not hid, she came trembling, falling down before him. She declared unto him before all the people for what cause she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. Now, the Lord could have let this pass. It wouldn't have been anything to just let this pass and let this woman quietly go on with the rest of her life. So, what's he doing? What's he doing? Why is he making this public? Why is he, in one sense, embarrassing her? Because people are going to start asking questions. I mean, what, what was your problem? And um, what did he do? And so on and so forth. Trying to get more details. And so she explains it all. She declared unto him before all the people for what cause she had touched him. And how she was healed immediately. And what the Lord is doing is the very same thing he did with the demoniac. If you go back, whenever you read at the end of the narrative given there, when he is healed of all the demon possession that he has, and we are told, verse 37 of Luke 8, Then the whole multitude of the Gadarenes round about besought him to depart from them, for they were taken with great fear, and he went up into the ship and returned back again. Now the man out of whom the devils were departed besought him that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to thine own house, and show how great things God hath done unto thee. And he went his way and published throughout the whole city how great things Jesus had done unto him. And he is doing the same thing here. He wants this to be told. He wants it to be published. Now, there were times for specific strategic reasons that he would say, don't tell anything, don't say anything. But largely speaking, if we understand this to be a salvific testimony, a woman delivered, that there's a, there's a message here that would help other people, just like a man possessed with demons, who is at the lowest point of life's existence and, and utter despair, and people, other people in the world need to know that even at rock bottom you can be delivered. The Lord says, go and tell people. People had cut you off and imagined that there's nothing that could be done for you. Well, he does the same thing for this woman. He uses her testimony. Christian, you have a testimony. You have a testimony to publish abroad. You have a story to tell of what Christ has done for you. And you are to do the very same thing as this woman did. You're to tell people, declare before all the people what the Lord has done for you. Now, there are far too many of us silent and far too many of us give excuses about, I can't witness to people, and I can't be a public testimony, and I don't have the words or the arguments. That's not what this is asking for. This isn't preaching. This is testifying. This is what the, the Lord told the man to go back and do. He didn't tell him to go and become a preacher. He said, go and testify. Go and tell what the Lord has done for you. You know your own story, do you not? Of course I know my own story. This is where I was. This is what you've done. I can tell that. It's all you. You did it. It's the same as the blind man in John 9, where I was once I was blind. Now I see. I know my own story, and you're not going to take it away from me. I know what happened. And the Lord is saying the same to this woman. He is drawing out of her a testimony, a testimony of what the Lord is able to do. And she stands there, bashful perhaps, but willing 
to give her testimony before everyone. She was also immediately made to know that she was accepted. Made to know that she was accepted. This is, this is, this is just lovely. <laughs> Whatever word you want to give to it, this is lovely. Verse 48, he said unto her, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace, daughter. I don't know of any other passage where the Lord addresses an individual person in this terminology. Daughter. He talks about daughters. But I'm not aware of another passage where he refers to someone as daughter, addresses them daughter. And do you not find it wonderful that amidst the context, because we're in the middle of a story here, where a man is coming, begging God to come and help his daughter, and that daughter had someone to advocate for her to come in her cause, and Jesus moving towards Jairus' home to help Jairus' daughter. But this woman has no friends, no family, no one to help, no one to advocate. She's alone in the world. She can just reach out to the Lord Jesus, get healed. But whether that makes any difference in terms of her family and friends, will she feel any more connected? Will she still be isolated and lonely? I don't know. But the Lord settles her heart with this one word, daughter, you're not alone. You're not alone. You're in my family. You belong to me. Don't ever think that you're alone. Don't ever imagine that you're cut off from company. You're mine, daughter. Now, I want every child of God to be aware of that because whenever we're alone and we feel like that we have no one else to turn to in the world, be aware that the Lord can come and say, daughter, you're not alone. You're not alone. There may be no one else to help you. No one with finances willing to invest it to help you with this medical problem or whatever other issues you have. But you have me. Daughter, be of good comfort. Calm yourself. Don't worry anymore. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace. She was immediately made to know that she was accepted. Oh, what it is to be accepted. Not before the world, but before the Lord. And finally, she was immediately purified so that she, she could worship God. She was immediately purified so that she could worship God. She hadn't. We've had, we've had a period. And across this nation, different people have different experiences and certainly some watching on at home tonight, no doubt, that have been out of the house of God for a long time. This woman had not been in the house of God for 12 years. And the, the significance of that, when you're unable to enter into the presence of God, when, you're, when you have no right to be in the presence of God for whatever reason, the significance of that is indicating to you that you're not ready to enter the full glory of God's presence. To have a right to be in the house of God, sit at the table of the Lord, Even to have a right to sit at the table of the Lord is an indication, a symbolic indication that 
you will one day sit down with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and you'll join in the marriage feast of the Lamb. So when sin comes into the life that either of your own accord or through the awareness of the oversight of the church, you're forbidden from being at the Lord's table. It's an indication that all is not well. And you're not ready to die. So to have acceptance, to be in the house of God, to have a right to the house of God and all the means of grace signifies our readiness to enter into God's eternal presence. This portion has much to teach us. But I hope on a very basic level that you have become aware of the accessibility of the Lord Jesus Christ and His wonderful grace to people in need. He didn't ask money from her. And it didn't tell her that all these issues that she had to address and deal with before she could enjoy his free acceptance and salvation simply reached out and touched him. And he sovereignly granted the healing she desired. It's wonderful, isn't it? Illustrative of the of the sinner's hand reaching out to Christ. Longing to be saved. To have your sins forgiven. To have peace with God. And you reach out by faith a hand. Lord, I'm reaching out. I want it. And one grasp of faith. One look of faith. He grants to you all the blessings of the children of God. He doesn't give them in dribs and drabs. It's not a hierarchy that you have to work your way up before you can say, I'm a child of God, and all this. No, you have peace with God. It can be said of you as it was said to the thief on the cross who's dying there for his crimes against his community. And he looks, remember me. He's about to die. Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. He couldn't touch his garment. He couldn't reach that far. His limbs were nailed to the cross. But there was a look of faith that reached out. Save me, Lord. Today, thou shalt be with me in paradise. Today, you will have what your heart desires. Is there anyone more wonderful than Jesus? Amidst all the despair that people suffer in life, Christ is the answer. May the Spirit of God help you to see it. Let's bow together in prayer. Let's all of us pray.
I don't know what condition your heart is in tonight before God. I don't know if I am speaking to some that are backslidden, gotten away from the Lord. Maybe that is the case. You need to reach out just like the woman did. Reach out afresh to Christ. They hold upon Him. He is a merciful Savior. He's not a hard taskmaster. He doesn't make you jump through hoops, as we've said. Just reach out and lay claim to His willingness, His promise to save you. If you've never been saved, if you don't know anything of what it means to be a Christian, to have your sins forgiven, you can have that now. You reach out. You cry to God. You say, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, forgive my sins. Grant me Christ. I want him as my Savior, as my Lord, as my friend. If you need help in any way, be sure to let us know. Lord, we commit thy word to thee that it may not fall to the ground, but that thou wilt drive away the fowls of the air, that thou wilt take thy word and make it find a resting place in hearts. We pray for lasting fruit. We pray for comfort. We pray for conviction. We pray for conversion. Do thy work in lives, whatever the need may be, and help us in the greatest times of despair in our lives, like this woman, to do anything, to do whatever we can just to lay hold on Christ, to get from him his saving virtue and his healing power. So, Lord, help us, minister to all of us. Be with those who go downstairs. Grant that in the time of fellowship, thou wilt be there. Bless the food to everyone who participates. And be with all at whatever time we make our way home. Go with us. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus, the love of God our Father, and the fellowship of the Spirit be with all thy people now and evermore. Amen.